Hello and welcome to Dr. Ken's Sermons and Studies. I'm Ken Broman, folks, and I'm glad you're here. Hope you find today's episode meaningful, spiritually challenging, and nourishing to feed your hunger. When I was in seminary uh, years, okay, eons ago, in the uh, dark decade of the 1970s, the personal computer was just on the drawing board. Now, there were computers, but they were so big and so expensive that only corporations and research facilities had them. You you wouldn't even dream of having a computer of your own. When I was in college, we had to go to a calculator lab to use the college's calculators, and they chained those to the wall so we wouldn't steal them. If, If you were really fortunate, you had a good typewriter. With, uh, with an eraser ribbon on it. You remember those? So when you typed the wrong letter, misspelled a word, you could use that eraser ribbon and type it over and it disappeared. Or at least almost disappeared. You could still see the indentation of the letter there. It wasn't gone completely. And that was if you were fortunate. The rest of us had to use liquid paper. Now, if you've ever tried to use liquid paper, you you know what I'm talking about. You'd have to roll the paper up and then you use this gooey, icky mess that you paint on the paper and you never wait completely till it's dry. And then you type over it and it kind of makes a mucky mess and, and your paper is ruined. Well, then came the personal computer and I was saved. I remember I've got manuscripts of early sermons that I typed on the typewriter and I would give up on the liquid paper. I would just type slash marks through entire words and paragraphs. Today you use the slash mark as a computer uh, function, but now then it was just what you did to cross out the stuff that you didn't want to uh, say in the sermon. And then I'd have to draw arrows around the slash marks and over to the next part so I didn't get lost in a sea of slash marks. So the personal computer was, uh, was salvation to me. Now when I make a mistake, all I have to do is highlight it and hit the delete key or just type over it what the right word or, or letter or paragraph is, and it disappears. It's like I can rewrite history. I can take all my mistakes and make them disappear. I can undo every error, at least every error that I don't miss and spell check doesn't miss. I, I, I got to tell this story. Uh, Jeanette uh, Quick Sandlin, our DCE's husband, Mark, had a thing on uh, Facebook a week or so ago about a, a program they were having at their church uh, lunch for folks who were underprivileged and, and needed food. And, and so he typed on there. Uh, food for, he, he meant to type, food for those who are underserved. But he left out the R, and it became undeserved. <laughs> Huge difference that spell check didn't catch. But if you catch those mistakes, you can end up with a perfect paper 
And no one ever knows about the misspelled words, the botched sentences, the dumb paragraphs that when you read them over, you realize made absolutely no sense at all. Life should be like that, shouldn't it? Would it not be wonderful to be able to highlight the mistakes that you have made and then just hit some kind of cosmic delete key and they're gone? And you can, you, you can redo it. You, you have a do over and all that anybody ever sees or knows is the right thing that you did. They don't know about all the dumb things that you've done, all the the things that you should have done differently, all the selfish ways that you've hurt others. It could all be erased. And only that which is done right is finally seen. Well, that's what our two scripture passages this morning are about. Cosmic do-overs and divine delete keys. In the beginning, when all there was was a clean sheet of paper, God created the man and the woman and placed them in the most perfect of places, the Garden of Eden. He gave them every good thing to enjoy, gave them perfect understanding and harmony between the two, perfect beauty surrounding them, perfect unity between them, perfect innocence of the possibilities of evil. And he gave them perfect license to eat of all of the fruit of all the trees in the garden, except one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One day, as Eve and Adam are walking together, Adam's right there with her. It's not just Eve's fault that this happens. She passes by that one forbidden tree, and the serpent slithers down the trunk and begins the process of deceit. Psst, Eve, Adam, come on over here. Rumor around the garden has it, that you're not allowed to eat of any of the trees of this garden. Oh, no, she says, innocent of the psychological tricks that the serpent is playing by trying to limit her perception of freedom. We can eat of any tree of the garden except this one. If we eat the fruit of this tree, we will die. Pshaw! You will not surely die. God just knows that if you eat from this tree, your eyes will be opened and you will understand all that God understands. You will be like God. And God doesn't take that well. God doesn't like others to be like him. He's kind of insecure that way. Well, it is a beautiful tree. The fruit looks delicious, she says. She stands there, allowing the temptation to fill her mind until she can stand it no longer. In a quick, impulsive motion, the decision is made. The deed is done. She shares the fruit with Adam, and the disobedience 
is complete. And in that disobedient act, the man and the woman are changed. They suddenly see themselves and each other in a different way. They suddenly see that the other person has the potential to hurt them. And they perhaps have even thoughts that they could do the same to the other. Suddenly, they feel naked, vulnerable, exposed. And so they begin to cover themselves, to protect themselves from one another. They didn't trust God's words about this tree, and now they don't trust each other either. So sin came into the world, and with sin came death. And with sin and death came despair. What was done was done. That clean, white, perfect piece of paper, that perfect page of history was marred, smeared with sins, never to be the same again, forever to suffer from the error of the original man and woman. And the pages of our lives continue to carry the watermark of that sin. You know what a watermark is? It's, it's something in the paper itself. You don't write it. You can't erase it. It's, it's, it's an, a symbol or something in the paper itself that you cannot get out. Sin is embedded in us and you can't get it out. From the moment of our birth, the story of our lives is written on this same sin-smeared paper. We are doomed to repeat the same disobedience and feel that same need to protect ourselves from each other, to cover ourselves, even from the people we love the most, and to hurt even the people we love the most. We are forever removed from that garden until another woman comes along. A young woman named Mary who hears a message beyond believing and yet she believes it. She receives a commission to be the mother of the Son of God and she, unlike the first woman, receives God's word obediently saying simply, let it be to me as you have said. Later on another night and in another garden, interestingly, Jesus talks with God and three times asks God to take away this thing that God wants Jesus to do. Three times he begs to have this taken away. But at the end of that prayer, he says, not my will but your will be done. It is a reversal of the original garden, which was filled with light, except for that one dark serpent, that one tree. This garden is dark, except for this one light of Jesus praying and his obedience 
to God's will for him. Therefore, Paul says, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so the one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. For just as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's disobedience, the many will be made righteous. See, Jesus is the new Adam, the one who negates all that had been in our lives, all the sin, all the disobedience, all that that watermark of sin within us removes that which we received from the first Adam. He takes it right out of the pages of our lives and gives us clean pages of wonderful, thick paper on which to write the story of our lives. Each day is a clean sheet of paper, a new beginning for each one of us. That's the miracle of the cross. Christ has created a clean heart within us. He has created the ultimate delete key that erases all that we've done all which we should have done that we failed to do, even the thoughts we have thought about those around us or ourselves. That is the meaning of Easter. And our task in these Lenten days is to examine ourselves and admit how filled with error we really are. As I said at the beginning, we are very much like sin addicts, caught in denial, wanting to pretend that we aren't that bad, that we are well-intended, that we are basically good, and we can make it on our own if we really try. We're just really not that bad. As we talked about over the past several weeks, this, this new set of beliefs that many people are espousing today says, if you're good, if you're nice to people, you go to heaven. You're not that bad. Lent the time when we put that spiritual mirror up to our faces and we look at ourselves closely and we realize that we are out of control and there is nothing we can do without God's help to save ourselves. So friends, I encourage us all, myself very much included, to have the courage to get that spiritual mirror out during this season. Look closely at ourselves, see all the ways that we have messed up our lives, all the opportunities to help others that we have ignored or or uh, failed to do, all the ways that we have hurt those around us with our words and with our actions, all the ways that we've tried and yet every day we continue to fail to be the people we would like to be, we know God wants us to be. Hold that mirror up to yourself through the season of Lent until you see how much you need a Savior, a new Adam, to remove that from your life which you cannot remove on your own. So that when Easter comes and the message is received that our sins are forgiven through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can truly receive that message and live in the freedom 
that it offers for us. Thanks to Jesus Christ, the new Adam. Amen. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Dr. Ken's Sermons and Studies. My prayer is that this message has touched you, challenged you, and nourished you in your spiritual journey. If so, please share Dr. Ken's Sermons and Studies with your friends, and I pray God's blessings on you today. Today.